uh, from this Old Testament prophet. There are a couple of times in the Old Testament where the motive of a shepherd is brought out. And that shouldn't surprise us. It's surprising that Jesus does that too in John chapter 10. That there are, we, we read through the Bible, we read about shepherds all the time. We don't see many shepherds today, but shepherds were all over the place. In the period of the Old Testament and New Testament Palestine, shepherd was a common occurrence and a common sight. So for the New Testament Old Testament writers to use shepherds uh, is natural. What God does in the Old Testament several times is He connects the experience of the shepherd and the role of the shepherd to not only himself and his relationship to God, but also to those who were to lead Israel in other ways. Uh, one commentator said that whenever you find the word shepherd in the Old Testament, uh, that what, you, what is almost immediately comes to mind, or what seems to be the immediate context, uh, are the kings of Israel. And I think that's probably true in Jeremiah. Uh, and Jeremiah's uh, use of the shepherd and Isaiah's use of the shepherd and even here in Ezekiel's use of the shepherd as, uh, as, as uh, a, uh, an example uh, to be followed uh, that it has to do with those who are positions of leadership and of course the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah with very few exceptions had failed miserably to be individuals to shepherd God's people but it may also extend to other uh, leaders of what as well, maybe priests and others, could, that application could be made even in the prophetic sense. But certainly what we recognize is that there is a connection to the New Testament uh, role of those who serve as elders, as we talked about this morning. In Ezekiel chapter 34, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. And Ezekiel goes on to say that God will, as he speaks to the shepherds, God will take away uh, their role as shepherd. No longer will they be allowed to, t- to be in charge of the sheep. That he, will, uh, that he will take care of those sheep himself, I think, is where Ezekiel goes with this. He will search them out and he will rescue them from, their, from the situation of being uh, wandering in the wilderness. But God's question here is pretty appropriate. And certainly it is a simple question. And that should not the shepherds feed the flocks? If there's a, a, if there's a flock of sheep and there's a shepherd sitting in the middle of it or guiding the sheep, then everyone who looks at that situation say, well, I know who feeds those sheep. The shepherd. Should not the shepherd feed the sheep? Isn't that what it means to be a shepherd? So spiritually applied, the shepherd must be willing to teach others. He must be willing to speak the Scriptures to others. And I think there's some implications of that beyond just the aspect of what we talked about that a shepherd has to be one who knows the Scriptures. But the idea that he has to be one that's through the experience of his own faith is willing to speak it to others and recognizes that him knowing the Scriptures is for the very purpose of expressing it to others. There's a sense in which, of course, teaching and being a teacher is a learned capability uh, and that the very use of the term able or apt to teach that's found in the qualifications would tell us that this is not only a relative uh, qualification but it also something that comes through experience and being taught. 
But the willingness to to share our faith with another individual may even be something that's beyond just the aspect of the ability to teach, the desire to teach, and the desire to want to you see to see other individuals learn. And there are many, I think, Christians who are at least some anyway who are willing to read their Bibles. They're very studious about their own personal relationship, and they even study the Scriptures for themselves. They attend the Bible class. And they may even want to learn, but they've never tried to feed anybody else. In a sense, that's what Ezekiel's describing here. As a shepherd who takes care of himself, he, he doesn't go hungry. He looks at the wool and he takes the wool off the sheep. And every once in a while, one of them, you see, is killed and they eat the flesh of the sheep and the, the, the flock serves him. But he doesn't do anything to serve the flock. So good shepherds don't feed themselves only. They also feed the flock. They lead others to the food. They speak about the food to other individuals. And that's an important perception when we think about where do shepherds come from? How do they develop? What we have to develop among young men is this aspect of a, des- of a desire to teach, a desire to reach out, be evangelistic as we call it, uh, to reach out. In verse 4, we just read, he says, You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. Now, what he's just described there is everything we should know about a shepherd, isn't it? What are they supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to feed them, but they're also supposed to watch out for the ones that are weak and strengthen those that are not as healthy as the others. To heal the sick, if one of them gets injured, you bandage it. If someone's, one of them's sick, then you nurture it back to health and you provide it for what it needs to be because what you're concerned about is not only the flock, but the individual sheep. Now, that's important perception, isn't it? When a person is put in charge of a congregation... What is he in charge of? What is his responsibility? To make sure that everything goes right when we're together, make sure everything's done decently in order, and to make sure that everything's scheduled, all decisions are made for the group? Or does it also include looking out and seeing individual sheep, individuals that are weak and the individuals that need strengthening, and the aspect here of strays that are going away? And that's what Ezekiel says that Israel's shepherds were not paying attention to. There's a major flaw in their character that they wouldn't look after those sheep that were weaker. They did nothing to help the sheep that were sick or lost. Now, what we recognize then from this is that the true shepherd, the good shepherd, is an individual who is looking. And the idea of watchfulness is also many times connected with the work of a shepherd. He's watchful. He's watchful for those who would come and try to destroy the, the, the flock, the wolf or the lion. But he's also watchful for the one that's straying away. The individual that's not doing as well as the others. The shepherd's not passive about this. When he sees an individual sheep that's not doing well, then he does something about it. He doesn't just, well, I hope somebody else takes care of that or maybe they'll get better. He cares too much about the sheep and it's his personal responsibility as the shepherd to make sure that he's not passive about that. And sometimes we grow into a way of being that way, I believe, as Christians. It's not that we don't see people that are weaker. Or we don't see that there are problems. This person's not coming anymore. They used to be more faithful than they are. Uh, or they're having trouble at home and they're not, they're, 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 their countenance has fallen. Their attitude's not as good. We might see all of those things. Sometimes it's not hard to see those things. But the real question is, will we do anything about it? Will we just hope someone else will take care of it? Shepherds then must be proactive. As much as, as much or more than any other Christian trying to spiritually build up every person that they can. Now, if I'm going to be that kind of person, not only as a shepherd but as a Christian, then there's some, some some things that have to happen. One is I have to strengthen myself. 
If I'm going to rescue other people, then I got to be strength. I got to be strong myself. You know, you watch these shows where they these rescue shows about the Coast Guard or other places where there's somebody in trouble and they send somebody out after them. It used to be one that was on a few years ago that Diane just Diane and I got hooked on. We watched nearly every episode of it. It's called "I Shouldn't Be Alive." I think it was the name of it. "I Shouldn't Be Alive." And what it was is that these people that got themselves in a really bad position, either hanging on a mountain or lost at sea, and 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 there's true stories, and they were. Over a period of the period of, of time, they were rescued. That's what the story was about. The show was about. But I can't, I can't tell you how many times that there was there were pe- there were people in those circumstances, and someone saw them in those circumstances and tried to rescue them. Either jumped in the water after them, or got out and tried to catch them on the mountain, and they ended up being the person that had to be rescued again, so that the, the rescuer became the one who had to be rescued. And then somebody came along eventually who, who was trained enough or is in the right position to actually rescue them both. And so we think about that from the spiritual sense. You know, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, if, if, if one falls away, if an individual is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restores us you all. And a spirit, you see, of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. That what Paul's not, not only presenting here the aspect that it takes a spiritual person to restore someone who is falling away, but that the implication is if I'm going to be involved in the rescue business, i got to, you see, equip myself to do that. And that's precisely what we talked about this, this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, that pastors are for the very purpose of equipping the saints to do the work of service and ministry so that when there are individuals that are weak, there are individuals that in the congregation that go out and get them and rescue them and bring them back. But shepherds have to be strong enough to do all of that. And that takes a reliance upon the Lord and recognizing the importance of God's Word. Shepherds also, if they're going to be involved in this aspect of the rescue business, must be proactive in the sense of not allowing the sheep to wander away so far. You know, the further away the sheep goes, the harder it is to bring them back, the more effort it's going to take. So if you let them walk off and you don't do anything about them, then after a period of time you see that you really have a task on your hands. And the shepherd is the kind of person who, through the experience of life, has developed the way to be proactive or to be involved in blocking the way of individual who's going astray and not getting in the way of someone or hindering them from being on the right path. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about individuals who caused other people to stumble. But it'd be better for a big rock to be tied about your neck and thrown into the sea than you cause one of these weaker Christians, weaker disciples to stumble. And Jesus took that very seriously and presented to us the very serious punishment as a result of that because it's so important, the relationship that we have to one another, that what I do and what you do so many times impacts whether or not a person's life before God is easier or more difficult. Whether their pathway, you see, has obstacles in it that I may very well put there because of my attitude, because of the way that I speak to them, because of the decisions that I make in my life, and how I might cause them to fall into temptation. And the Apostle Paul was ever constantly making uh, applications about that in his own writings. But the shepherd's also a subversion when he sees the sheep going astray, steps out, stands in its way. Doesn't allow it to go that way. He moves it in another direction. That doesn't beat the sheep. He doesn't take him and drag him back. That's not what a shepherd does. A shepherd motivates the sheep and guides them back to the pathway that's right. And that's, I think, what we recognize next in the text in verse 4. That is, the shepherds of Israel were harsh and cruel towards the sheep. 
Not only did they neglect them by not feeding them, but when it came time, you see, for them to be corrected or it came time for them to interact with them, what Ezekiel says is the shepherds of Israel ruled the flock with violence and cruelty. Now they ruled, but they did it with violence and cruelty. The ESV says with force and harshness. And Ezekiel presents that, you see, from the negative perspective. Not the ruling part, because elders do have a responsibility to rule in the, in the biblical sense of that terminology. But that never includes the aspect of force. It never includes the, the elements of coercion or the aspect of harshness that's involved so many times when people are positioned with authority. And I think from the standpoint of, under, of, rec, of realizing the spiritual position that men are placed in when they become individuals that have authority in the church, that's something that certainly needs to be brought out. Paul says it like this. He says, let them not lord it over God's people. And the idea of lording it over, you see, was a direct reference to the way that authority was naturally expressed in the world in which he lived and the world in which we live. You give it somebody a power and they're going to take it and they're going to exercise it. And sometimes they do it harshly and cruelly without respect to the individual's faith or their weakness. Sometimes we do that with our words. And that's where the word harshness, I think, comes in. That's what harshness depicts, is the aspect of how we communicate, whether we do it with our words or how we interact with one another. You know, it's possible to say the truth and to say it in an absolutely wrong way. The content of what you said is right, but the way that you said it and expressed it, you see, was totally wrong. And so Paul says, speak the truth, but speak it in love in Ephesians chapter 4. Always with considerate of the individual. Words that slander and words that are derogatory are not shepherd words. They are not words that make the flock stronger or that edify or build up. Shepherds don't speak to injure. They don't rule to discourage or to inflame others. Sometimes this harshness and this coarseness as the ESV describes it here as the aspect of force is in the ways, the actions that a person would take. Paul tells Timothy in the passage in 1 Timothy that a shepherd must not be a contentious person, that he must not be a brawler or a fighter. We can't, I suppose that maybe that uh, it might puzzle us as to why that would be placed in there because you think, you know, a fellow goes around punching people, you're probably not going to think about him being an elder. But what he's describing there is not just the throwing of fists, though that's certainly involved in the use of the terminology, but the aspect of the propensity to deal with things in a forceful way or a violent way or or individuals that would try to put people in their place so to speak and Paul says no no that person's not qualified he's let power go to his head I think about 3rd John and Diatrophes and how John describes him there as a man who wanted preeminence and what did he do he cast people out of the church He he had a position of authority to exercise in a forceful or a harsh way Shepherds act out of love and compassion, not out of power, not out of authority over others. But then lastly, what Ezekiel says in verse 8 is that my shepherds have not searched for my sheep. What presents itself as one of the major themes here, I think, in this text as far as Ezekiel making known the problem, the flaws that existed among God's rulers the kings or the priests or whoever you might want to apply them to is that They had allowed Israel to wander off. They had made no attempt to bring them back to God. Their responsibility was to care for those who were weak and strengthen them, and they were not to allow the sheep to be scattered, because that's what sheep do. 
left on their own. Their sheep naturally congregate, but they also naturally scatter and move about. And so that's what he describes here. Verse 5, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Implying that if if there was a shepherd, they wouldn't have to be scattered. But they had no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field. Verse 6, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. And no one was seeking or searching for them. That's tragic, isn't it? No one's seeking or searching for them. These sheep don't belong to anybody. There's nobody that cares for these sheep. And I think Ezekiel's presenting here a, a very powerful and tragic picture of the way that God sees His people without godly leadership. Just as Jesus said, they're sheep that have no shepherd. They're in a tragic position because they have no one who will take the position to teach them and get them on the right course. So my shepherds have not searched for my sheep. What hope does it? A lost sheep have if no one comes to look for them. No one gets them back. You know, I think about that from the standpoint sometimes of folks that come and maybe even become Christians and they become a part of congregation and they're serving God and then over a period of time something happens in their life and they're no longer coming anymore. And however long it's been, maybe it's been a couple months, maybe it's been a couple of years, or maybe it's been several years, and on down the road and you think about those folks... And maybe you think about how you neglected them and you should have tried to get them back, but the position that they're in now, far away, being swept up in the world, what's the chances you're going to get those people back? What's the chances those sheep are going to be back in the fold? You see, they're scattered. And that's what God presents here in Ezekiel. And so the perception here that's important is first, as we said, we have to be careful as shepherds to not do anything that would cause sheep to scatter. But we have to make sure that we're making the path clear for them to stay on the right way. I bring up Glendale again. Uh, Glendale was such, I think, a, a powerful force in this in the aspect of desiring for the unity within the congregation. And when I was first here, as the young preacher that I was when I first came to here, he'd, uh, he'd, often, he'd often, often tell me, Dave, when you deal with others, try to do as much good as you can and don't do any harm. And I, I always found those words to be challenging sometimes. Not only to do as much good as you can, but to try to do good without doing any harm. Because that that takes some discernment. Because there are individuals sometimes that are harmed in ways that we don't recognize. But those are good shepherd words. That's certainly the perspective that's presented here. And the shepherds must know the dangers that sheep face every day. They must be vigilant and watchful. And they must always be willing, however far they have to go, to go and find and search the sheep that's lost and bring him back. Just as Jesus our Lord does. When Ezekiel prophesied these words, Israel had shepherds. They would, these words would be meaningless if there was no one which they were directed towards. Or at least they'd had shepherds before they went into captivity if we place this particular words of Ezekiel in the time in which they were already in captivity. But what presented here by Ezekiel that may be one of the most clear indications of what he's saying is that bad shepherding is devastating to the flock. You get the wrong individuals in place. You get individuals that are not qualified from the standpoint of the attitude that they have and the desires that they have and the love and compassion that they have. Then what happens is not only do you have a bad situation in terms of the elders themselves, but the flock is the one that really suffers. And sometimes those things in terms of a flock are almost irreversible. So 
So those who are not ready for the task should not be given the task because that's devastating. We need to find individuals and search out for individuals that have dedication and sacrifice and spiritual strength. Not that they're perfect and that they can already do the job in every way that it requires of them, but rather those individuals who attitudinally love the sheep to look for those ideas and those concepts that involve the aspect of what a shepherd really is. Who have a desire to prepare themselves to be leaders. Not as a title, but as a work. As a job and a responsibility. Now, as we conclude, let me say this. Each of us, I believe, you say, well, that that sermon didn't have much to say to me. I'm never going to be an elder. And there's several here that are not ever going to be elders. You ladies are not ever going to be elders in the congregation appointed. That's what does this have to do with me? Or maybe you recognize you're way past those years or that there's something in your life that would never qualify you, allow you to serve in that capacity. So what does this lesson have to do with me? Well, let me suggest to you that each of us possess a responsibility towards what we're talking about toward the appointment of shepherds in a congregation and the development of godly leadership is put in books in the literature of God to present to a congregation because every person in the congregation has something they are to do and should do in regards to that. And one of the things you can do and I can do, whoever I am, is I can pray about it. When Paul spoke to the elders at Ephesus, the elders of Ephesus at Miletus, he said that the church of God had that they had become elders of the church of God because they had been assigned or appointed by the Holy Spirit to that task. And sometimes we discuss that. What's that mean? They were, that the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. And I don't know what your best explanation of that is, but there's one that seems very clear to me. And that is that God is superintending this whole process of who will or will not lead His church. He doesn't leave it up to us. He certainly didn't leave it up to us in terms of the, qual- uh, the, the qualities of the man, men who should be put in those positions. We might choose very different qualities if we were to choose those ourselves. But God has appointed those who will serve His church by putting the qualifications before us and saying, these are the ones that I want. These are the ones who will do the job. So we need to pray for young men of this congregation to develop the spiritual qualities that are found in the text of the Bible and to make sure that they understand what those particular qualities are and don't discourage them as they strive to bring, to, to, to bring those things about. Show, show them through your own life how to be a servant, whether you're a man or a woman, whatever, to display to young individuals that are developing the character to be leaders how to serve is absolutely vital to the process to show them how to serve. That's what they need to learn more than anything else. And they may know how to balance a, you know, to balance a bank sheet and they may know how you see to budget money, but if they don't know how to serve, they're not qualified to be leaders in God's church. And that's something that all of us can teach young people. We need to pray for the wives and the young women who would be married to elders, who would prepare themselves to meet the qualifications of the men who would serve in that capacity. Pray for the unity and the love of the church as it strives to go about the process. You know how, how ironic it is when you look back and you see that the, that the process of appointing elders divides churches. You know How against the, of God's will is that? That He wants the church to be unified by godly leadership and in the process of finding men and appointing them to the task, the church is divided and no longer has any unity. But sometimes it takes discernment. Sometimes it's a task that calls for prayer and calls for compassion and love and discipline. 
Learn what God says about the qualities. Learn what God says about the spiritual requirements of those who should lead and be willing to teach them and emulate them to others. Lastly, let me suggest to you that the thing that I think is at the center of the work of an elder in the, con- in the context in which, especially that we've talked about it today. If you're going to develop something in a young person that would provide for them the platform from which to be a, le- a leader in the Lord's church, what would you teach them? What would you give them if you could just give them this quality? If I had to answer that question, I believe at the top of my list is I would say, we need to teach young people to love sheep. Because if you're going to be a shepherd... You need to love sheep. If you don't love sheep, you're in the wrong profession. And if you don't love Christians, you don't love God's people, if you don't have a compassion for those that are weak, if you don't want to see everybody go to heaven that you know, then you're not qualified to lead God's people because that's what leading God's people is all about, loving sheep. And that's what we need to teach young people is how to love sheep. If we don't love them ourselves, if we divide them or we discourage them or we speak ugly about them or we talk about them as though we're not one of them, then we're working against that process. And we should not be surprised in the next generation there will not be men to lead the church who are qualified. Thank you for your attention. As I said, the Lord willing, we're going to talk about uh, about the quali- specific qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3. So I invite you to read those passages. Uh, for next week and we get around to that we'll talk about some of those words and try to put those things in order and categorize them the way that we can best understand them and look as well at the qualities of deacons that follow from that uh, and the ladies that are involved in those passages as well Uh, thank you for your attention if you're not a child of God we want to invite you to be in the fold of the flock of God through your faithful obedience to his word if you'll, uh, if you'll turn your life over to God if you'll recognize that he has been the one who has laid down his life for you as the good shepherd and that he resurrected from the dead and all of that was done on your behalf that you'll be moved to be repentant of your sins and through faith be obedient to his will uh, then you can come into the family of God and God will bless you in every way at the center of that is the forgiveness of your own sins he will make you clean and pure and sanctified uh, and he will provide for you a new heart uh, can, are you willing to do that? Can we help you? Let's stand and say